Sermon Smash. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Sermon Smash Bros. My name is Michael Paul. And I'm Matthew Jones. Sermon Smash Bros is a podcast where preachers are invited to deconstruct their sermons right before your very ears. Michael Poff, how's it going? What's new? Not much is new. Yeah. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. How about yourself? Well, I was doing really good, except all of a sudden we're sitting here, and out of nowhere, with no explanation, you start playing this YouTube video of uh, Jay Leno being shown this uh, very expensive Bugatti, and I don't understand why you were showing me this video. What What is that about? Uh, I don't know. I just I just saw it on the front page of YouTube and oh, clicked on okay, it. Okay, very good. I just didn't know if there was any context no, to that or just, not. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, who do we have on the podcast today? Today we have a very special guy. He's the man that married me and Emily, oh, and that yeah. is Mark Holcomb. He's the chaplain at Olivet Nazarene University. Yeah, yeah. We sat down with uh, with uh, Uncle Mark, as I call him, mm-hmm. uh, in his office at Olivet and had a really wonderful conversation. Uh, guy is very important to both of us and our preparation for ministry. So we really enjoyed it and hope that you will as well. So without any further ado, Mark Holcomb. Welcome to the Sermon Smash Bros podcast. Here we have Chaplain Holcomb at Olivet from Olivet Nazarene University. That's me. Yeah. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Thanks for being on here. Thanks for asking me to be on here. Yeah, yeah. So we want to start just by asking you to kind of give us the big picture of the sermon that we're talking to you about, Pink Spoons. Pink so, Spoons. Yeah, kind of just talk to us about um, maybe what scripture you're drawing from and just the broad stroke, the big move of the sermon. Yeah, so 1 Corinthians 7, there's a verse that says, basically, don't run away from your calling, right? And so I was doing prep for reading books like Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller and Amy Sherman's book, Kingdom Calling, and Garber's book, uh, Visions of Vocation. Uh, We were going to talk about vocational, the fact that we're all called. I think that was actually... You're asking to remember something from two years ago, but I think that actually was our theme for the fall semester here was called. Um, And so I was reading Amy Sherman's book, and in the introduction, actually, she talks about Jeffrey Wright, who's a pastor in Harlem, who used this illustration of Baskin-Robbins pink spoons. Being a, you know, when you're you're tasting, you you haven't fully tasted yet, but you get a little taste of what's yet to come. And so, I I mean, that just kind of marinated and worked on me all summer, and and it just was something that uh, I couldn't shake uh, in helping to shape the first message to launch our theme for the fall semester of 2015 on calling the fact that we're all called and and we losing sight in the fact that we think that that there's a better calling there's bigger callings when Mm -hmm. in the fact i think anything that we do god redeems all of life god redeems everything that we do for the sake for his of his kingdom uh so it doesn't matter whether i'm a pastor an engineer a teacher a homemaker um all of that god redeems and it is all vocational uh, meaning something that we're all called to do so that was kind of that's the big picture it was a theme on calling and then i read this in introduction in amy sherman's book on these pink spoons and it just kind of worked on me the rest of the summer hmm. Good. when coming up with a theme or a sermon where do you start what are your first steps 
Well, I read a book a long time ago um, called Speaking to Teenagers and um, Creative Communication. And I'm trying to look at the book, the name of the title of the book that's sitting right there. Ken Davis wrote a book. I went to went to went to one of his seminars at seminars at a youth specialty conference, and it really uh, probably has impacted me. I, I, I'm not that I'm trying to kick my homiletics prof in seminary or anything like that, but basically what he he taught me to do as a youth pastor, and I think it's something that I haven't gotten away from, is you basically, you know, you you take your text and you take everything else that. Um, that works around the text mm-hmm. when I say scripturally stories and everything else and you work from the text primarily but then with everything else that kind of sticks to it I call it the velcro effect right mm-hmm. so you you kind of let let it just marinate on you and work on you and then th- stories and things from life or things that you're reading just start to stick to the text um, so he kind of talked about the, this velcro effect but he also said that what you want to do is you want to be able to answer one question so or if people when when people have heard you speak and they leave they should be able to summarize what you've said in one sentence one phrase or one Mm -hmm. sentence so i kind of try and take everything down to that um and water not water it down but but narrow it down to where it can be said in a phrase or a sentence so when you leave you have a metaphor or a picture or an image or a thought um, that encapsulates what you're trying to say. So everything, every time I speak, um, so obviously the pink spoon message, you know, Matt, you were even talking about some things that, I mean, that was two years ago, right? right? But you remembered Mm -hmm. that message, some things that happened two years ago. And so obviously something that was said stuck aside from the fact that you've really listened to the message, but something stuck to help you remember Um, what was said two years ago. So that's kind of, it's narrative, right? um, Mm Story-based, but that's kind of... Yeah, it's really interesting that you you talk about this Velcro effect because one of the things I was going to ask you about was it seems as listening to this sermon, um, obviously the text is central and it's a very like scriptural message, but so much of what you're talking about is drawn from things outside of scripture, like the books that you've mentioned, stories from your own life. And it's like you're sharing this lived experience. Um, and so now I'm hearing you talk about that, like as th- that's intentional and like you call it the Velcro effect. I think it's great. How, how would you encourage someone to begin to think in that way or to notice things outside of, to notice new things that can kind of be brought into their preaching? Well, don't wait to read like um, my don't read wait to read the lectionary text till Saturday, right? right? So the because you don't have a whole lot of time through the experiences that you have throughout. The, I mean, I just think that's how God through His Spirit works, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if you if you can take some time on Monday to read the lectionary text mm-hmm. or whatever text you're going to preach from the next week, don't wait until Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but do it on Monday. Begin to live in the passage yourself, because one of the things that I have found, um, you know, I had a, I think John Middendorf was the one who first told me that when when, you know, he's the one who introduced me to TextWeek.com back in the 90s, oh, wow. right? And one of the things that the lectionary does is it doesn't allow you to proof text, or I don't get to choose what I preach, right? 
the lectionary kind of kicks you in the face first. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, so I think you have to experience the kick in the face. Mm. And you can't experience the kick in the face uh, unless you're doing it earlier in the week. Now, I have the advantage when I only speak four or five times over a three-month period. You know, yeah. I, mean, I don't, you know, you're, you're weekly, right? right? I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, and, and this first sermon for the fall, actually, um, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of have a direction for where I'm going, but I don't. Um, I know what the text is, but um, I will just now start kind of living into what that moment, that, that chapel is going to look like for us. But, of course, I have two months to do that now, right? Yeah. There's a lot of living. There's a lot of story. There's a lot that can, that can stick to that. Mm. Um, but do it early. So if you're preaching weekly, do it early in the week. Allow the lectionary text to be shaping you, mm-hmm. how you're seeing your world. Um, because, again, I think that's how the Spirit works is, is you can't. You know, I have a friend who doesn't even start prepping his sermons till Saturday night. I don't know how you do that. Mm. He's, he's obviously wired differently than me uh, because I, I just can't do that. And, and I need as much time. Uh, because the more time, the better it is. The more I read, I find applying to what I'm trying to say. And even stories, I remember, you know, have you ever preached a sermon? And like a week later, you think, man, if I would, that story that happened to me when I was seven yeah. would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's too late. I just <laughs> preached that message. Yeah, been there. Can you describe your sermon preparation ritual or something that you do every time that you're preparing for your message in chapel um maybe go to panera or <laughs> i don't know i don't know i mean i've heard where, where I've do heard, you go yeah. is, where do you go what are you i usually write in here believe it or not uh i sit right at we're what five feet away from my chair so i i usually write in here but i have a friend who like the middle of august will start sticking his head in my door and asking me how many times I've edited my message for the first chapter because he, you know, because I do, I'll still be tweaking and dreaming and thinking about my message. You know, there's been some times I've spoken and I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I'll rewrite a whole illustration or add something or take something out. Um, so I, I would say though, more often, it's something that, you know, like I said, I do start with the text and then I look for a story or, or a metaphor. So mm. this text on calling, vocation, and one of the things that I think I was trying to say was that everything we do matters. And, and sometimes we're, we're, we're so caught up in the church, the trap that I think we fall in sometimes where everything has to be hyped and everything has to be profound and we lose we lose the joy of being able to do life every day whereas on facebook i have to put this perception of myself out there and we all think somebody's something that they're not instead of just enjoying the fact that i get to sit around a table with two friends and have a conversation for an hour and this is mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. right it's not difficult it's it so when when it relates to our vocation what does that look like um do I diminish the role of somebody because of the job that they have? Or is there redemption for a guy who slaps hamburgers on a Burger King grill? Is that, is that a, could that be a calling? Um, and so I, I was, the, the pink spoon 
then just kind of latched on to that message and really became the metaphor for the semester, right? Mm -hmm. That everything we do then, regardless of job, regardless of occupation, is vocational, which then we live our lives as pink spoons, mm -hmm. regardless of where we are, right? It doesn't have to be this super complex thing, right? It's just the way that you talk with people today, the way you interact with people today, the way you do your job, um, everything, that, that's, that all matters. It's a big deal. So tell us uh, your go-to resources for um, sermon writing. Are there, are there um, certain things that you are looking at every time? Is it different every time? Uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about what resources you draw from. Yeah, it's different every time. I, I read... I wouldn't say I'm a voracious reader. I, I know some people that read three, four books a week, right? I might do that, but I do that in the summer. I can't read a lot during the school year. Um, I reread, you know, part of the problem is I don't remember what I teach from year to year when I teach my classes, so I have to reread the text with the students so I remember what I'm teaching. Um, I, I don't know what you call that. But uh, so for me, it's just um, uh, I use Evernote. Uh, and every book that I read, uh, I'll, I will go through the highlights after I finish the book. Um, and the highlights that I think really fit with where I think we're going for the fall. Um, so I keep them in book notes, and then I copy and paste all of them to a sermon note file. And it's all under fall 2017. So yeah. I have... I have all the books that I've read for fall 2017, all the ones that I've read for spring 2018, mm. I keep notes in Evernote for all of those. And uh, I will probably start rereading those pretty quickly. Uh, and I've already started transferring some of the, the quotes that I think are really applicable to, I think, where I'm going with the first message. And then I have, so the sermon notes file, so I copy and paste them to there. And then I can, when I'm typing, I don't have to retype those. That's I just nice. copy and paste them into my message, which saves me time. So I start to build a framework in my message with that, too. It, I don't have a lot of filler, but I'll start with the text. I'll start with the story. I'll start with some quotes, and then everything tends to fill in from there. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. No, that's do, great. Do you use manuscript? Or? Yes. Okay. I, yes, I use manuscript. Yeah. Tell I us about that. I don't trust my, well... Part of it is, and I think I've told you this before, I like to read through my manuscript so I agree with what I'm about to say. So uh, the, the, the group of people and the age of the... I, I don't want to say they're more critical than normal, but I think college students have their... I'll say PG version, they have their bullcrap detectors up and they're, so they're, they're very uh, tuned in to things sometimes that are said that are screwy or skewed or inaccurate or uh, even I think if I say something and I haven't given a reference, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to Google search it and, you know, accuse me of things if I don't reference the person in the way that it should be. So, um, but most of it's just theological coherence. I want to make sure that what I'm about to say, I actually agree mm -hmm. with. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So that's why I use a manuscript. I also use a manuscript because I don't want to repeat stories and it helps me remember if I've used a story. Um, students are here for four years and I can forget. And uh, I, I have been accused of you know, using my daughter's driving stories a little too frequently, <laughs> but they tend to get the same response every time. So I, some of it's for that. Yeah. Um, but mo mostly it's just to make sure that I say things well. I think, I think we are responsible. We need to say things well. I remember when I was a seminary student, um, uh, well, I don't know how else to say it except to say it. It was said publicly. And I remember, uh, you know, you're with a bunch of seminarians, so our, our antenna were up as well, right? And the pastor at the church that I attended said, now I know this isn't theologically correct, but I'm going to say it anyways. And I remember we just all kind of cocked our head to the side and went, okay. You didn't question its theological accuracy. You said, I know this isn't theologically correct, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, and I don't remember what it was, so I couldn't tell you if it was a big deal or not. But it was a big deal because I kind of feel like we are responsible for being theologically coherent. We need to make sense. And, and, and I think we need to make sure that what we say theologically is as accurate as we can make it to be. So there's a lot of times when I'll preach, I'll say, now I think I think this, mm -hmm. and this is as much as I understand, you know? So that's why I have conversations with other people too. Like when I did a, a my heaven and hell sermon, I think you were a student, Matt, right? Mm -hmm. When I preached on heaven and hell, well, I went and talked to, to Dr. Murphy mm -hmm. and oh, his yeah. view of Revelation and to say, now this is what I want to say at this point, and am I off base? Am I on base? Um, and, and, you know, I talked to him, I talked to Dr. Kwan, and there are resources here that I think I have too that a pastor in a lot of places don't have. Um, and so I try and take advantage of those as much as possible as well. Yeah, that's great. Uh, could you describe the moment that you kind of knew what the message would be? I, I can, I, maybe I'll answer it this way. It, the, the toughest places for me to speak are away from here because I think a lot of what I do is embedded in community, mm. right? So you're a pastor of a church. That would make sense to you, right? Mm. Every, every time you think about what you're going to say, it's embedded in the community that you're in, right? right? Um, the context that you uh, are pastor in and the people that you pastor and shepherd. So I think it's the same way for me. So it's not that I, it's not that I have to think like a 19-year-old, because I can't anymore. But I, I, I want I want to understand their world. So to say things in ways that not only are relevant for them, but they can hear it. So it's understandable for a 19-year-old. Um, so, but but to say when do I feel like. Um, I don't know, man. I think I'm, I'm a feeler. I'm just a feely guy. So I don't know what my second sermon's going to be in the fall. Like I, I preach, and then two weeks later I preach again, and I have no idea. Um, we're talking about what it means to be uh, um, caretakers, right? Of mm -hmm. What does it mean to be people who, who tend well, Right. So we're, we're using, I'm doing something we've never done before this fall, um, and that's we're using panels that are uh, 
they all have faculty members from the university on the panel. Mm -hmm. cool. So we're talking about issues like trafficking, clean water, world food problems, and creation care. Those are our four topics that we're talking about this fall and what it means to tend to those things well as Christians, right? Now, and, and so the, I know the first message, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about what, what justice is and what social justice is. And so the, the trafficking issue, justice issue, right? Social justice. Clean water, social justice issue, right? Uh, world food problems, definitely a social justice issue. Creation care, uh, put the brakes on that one, right? Global warming, not so sure about that, right? And so it, to me anyways, it seems like all four of those fit in the, ish, in, in the realm of social justice. But we've, we, we, I think we, the evangelical church, has only allowed three of them to be put there. And I'm going to challenge that this fall in saying that Genesis 2 says we are caretakers. And how well are we taking care? So, for instance, the guys in the room, and not just guys, guys, I don't want to make this gen a gender issue, the guys and girls that are caught up in, in porn addictions, or at least curious curiosity, right? Well, you are feeding the trafficking issue. You may be a proponent about justice issues related to trafficking while you're looking at porn and you don't connect the two. And I think, I, so to help 19-year-olds look beyond themselves, uh, to, to see the call that's beyond that. Now, how did I come to that place? I have actually, to be totally honest with you, I was having a conversation with the class chaplains, oh, Michael, cool. of which you were one. Yes, and one times. Of, yeah, and one of the things that one of them said to me was, why don't we ever talk about these things specifically? Mm. Well, we have talked about trafficking. We, did, we talk about clean water every year because we have students that run the marathon mm -hmm. in Chicago with World Vision. I don't know that we've talked about World food issues, food, the, the hunger issue, but I know we haven't really tackled the issue of uh, creation care, mm -hmm. global warming, which we are. We're bringing in Ben Lowe to talk about that, uh, who's a millennial writing and talking about mm. creation care. So um, I think it was in my heart, it might have been birthed through a conversation I had with our mm -hmm. class chaplains. It just said, we really think this is something you need to talk about. And I, I heard that. And so started reading and doing a bunch of stuff, and that's where we're heading. Mm. That's great. Uh, how was this Pink Spoon sermon responding to the theological needs of Olivet's community or your community? Yeah. Well, I think... You know, Covey says begin with the end of, end in mind. So for the theologically astute, that would that would be re referencing our eschatology, right? Mm -hmm. So I think I was dealing with a of a, a form, and I think I guess maybe we really still are this fall as well. We still really are dealing with our eschatology, right? Because right? yeah. there's some people that think, well, God will not allow the world to implode. Mm -hmm. God will rescue us because we're going to bug out. <laughs> okay. Um, Theologically, that's a problem, and I think that that's that's a that's a skewed eschatology, right? The escapist eschatology that's there. So I think some of it, to answer your question, Michael, was dealing with the fact that pink spoons, as people of faith, we are responsible to tend to the now, mm -hmm. here where we live. And I even said this spring to students when we talked about reconciliation. We talk a lot about reconciliation in Chicago and Detroit and Ferguson and the the, the things that are going on in places like that, Baltimore and 
and other places like that. But we got work to do here, mm-hmm. right? We don't have to leave Olivet. We don't have to leave our community to deal with issues of, of reconciliation in a variety of ways, not just race, but in a, in a variety of ways. And I think it's the same for us here as well. I think the conversations that we have, I hope, are challenging and shaping at the same time. Uh, and I tell, you know, I, I tell parents all the time, I'm not here to create questions for their students because I think they have enough, but we're here to try to answer them in what I think are scripturally, scripture-centric ways. And I think we do that. Um, so the Pink Spoons was, was responding to that in a lot of ways. It might have been corrective again. I think it was corrective in not diminishing the fact that you know, you've probably heard some people say, well, I have a call to, I'm going to be a pastor. And somebody will say, well, I'm just going to be a school teacher, right? Just a school teacher or just an engineer. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want anybody to say that anymore because I think the, the calling that God gives us is unique to how we're wired and to who we are. And if that's, if I was created the way I am to do what I was created to do, then so are you and so are you and so is everyone else. So find out who you are in God so then you can do what he created to do and allow God to redeem that so it can be used for his kingdom. So then you can give people a little taste, Mm -hmm. a little taste of what God desires for his world. And Mm -hmm. that's the pink spoon. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's so good. Is there a theological idea or... A idea, a thread that you always try to have in all your sermons, or anytime you get the chance to speak to students that you always try to talk about or bring up. Hmm. Well, uh, I don't know if you're trying to get me to answer the question of, you know, do I? I mean, I'm at a I'm at a Wesleyan school. I don't use Nazarene language. You know, I like I don't say Nazarenes believe this. Like when I did my message, and again, I think you both of might have been students. So I'm going to do it again in the spring. My message on alcohol, and I just tried to help students understand what the Nazarene churches believe, why why we believe what we believe about this issue, um, and but we've done a terrible job at communicating why we believe what we believe mm-hmm. about this issue, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, what was the question again? I just got on my own tangent. You, you can ask him. Uh, so is there like a theological yeah. theme that is we, is there something you want them to know about God and you maybe say it in a bunch of different ways, yeah. but it's the impression that you want them to have when they leave all of that. Yeah. So it is that God loves them, but it's that God is God's main concern for them is not that they get wealthy and buy a big house and have a happy life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think God's God. I just heard a podcast this morning where and I wish I could remember the guy's name. He's from Australia, but I just bought his book. I, 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 it's the first time I'd ever seen him. But he talks about the fact that maybe humans, to be fully human, are to, un, are, to, are to begin to understand again that our life is lived in the struggle, that that is what life is about. Life is always about the struggle with the flesh and who we are and trying to figure out how we become who we are in Christ. Because, I I mean, you've had me for a youth ministry class, Michael, so you've heard me talk about moralistic therapeutic deism and how students mm-hmm, feel yeah. like their salvation is purely based on their ability to be good. Mm-hmm. So they have to be good. 
uh, and when they can't be good, they feel like they're failing, whatever that means. But there's also so this therapeutic piece where they feel like that God's job is to make them feel good about themselves. And but then you go to a place like Haiti, where they ta- they they sing songs thanking God for blessing them when they have absolutely nothing, and it kind of mm-hmm. kicks you in the shins mm-hmm. about your own view of well, then who is God really? And, or, you know, if God is here to make my life easy and good and make me feel good when I don't, then God doesn't care about me. And so to help our students, I think to help our students realize that God is with them in the struggle, he's with them in the pain, um, but that maybe that is life, Mm -hmm. is experiencing God in the pain you know, I have a friend who says the reason we need the poor around us and with us is because we see life in different ways. When That, that Wesley always said we need to have the poor among us, mm-hmm. right? And when we don't, we don't see life as it should be seen. And I think that could be the same with pain and struggle and anguish because, you know, we think that, that you know, God help me feel better. Well, maybe I'm not supposed to. Maybe, maybe there's something to be learned with the pain. Maybe that's what Paul's thing was about. Take this thorn away from me, right? And God just kind of patting him on the back saying, it's all right, Paul. My, my grace is sufficient for you. You're just going to live with this sucker for a little while, all right? Like maybe till death, right? Mm-hmm. Death do you part from your thorn, but mm-hmm. until then this thorn is yours. We don't talk about thorns anymore. We don't talk about pain. We don't talk about struggle and I think it hurts the church because the church in its identity crisis right now, the church feels like it shouldn't struggle and maybe we should. Maybe we should always be struggling. That's one of the things he said in the, in the podcast again. You know, maybe we need to recognize we just had it too easy for too long and we were never intended to have it easy. So I don't even know that I answered your question. No, it's great. Yeah, great. so that thread, though, of helping to see God for who he really is, and how he relates to us, regardless of where we are, I think is something that I always keep coming back to. I, I, I want to help correct pop theology. And I even hate saying that because that, then it, I, that makes me, I think sometimes that might put me, I'm not patting myself on the back when I say that. I just think there's a pop theology that a lot of kids come in, regardless of mm-hmm. theological background. Mm-hmm. But I can't use Wesleyan and Nazarene language when 70% of our students aren't Nazarene or Wesleyan. But I think our Wesleyan message is compelling. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most compelling message that's that I think it's the most compelling message. Yeah. And I, and I see students responding to it because it's the most compelling message, uh, the most holistic. Uh, and so you don't, don't call it what it is because then they kick you because you're trying to make them all Nazarene or Wesleyan, <laughs> but you just say it and they're like, I love it. Yeah. And you're like, I knew you would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to become a Nazarene to live it. Right. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you talked uh, about how Amy Sherman mentions, um, that we t- can become like paralyzed by all the things that we know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so th- that we, we, we're hearing the news so much and we're aware of all of these problems so much so that we feel paralyzed because we can't move forward. Would you tell us a little bit about that paralyzation and maybe how in, in leading up to this you felt paralyzed or you talked with students that were feeling that paralyzation and how the scripture calls us out of that? Yeah, 
I think it's a two-edged sword because, you you know, the Friedman book, The World is Flat, with the blessing and the curse in that, right. where everything's real time anymore, right? So we literally watch Syria bombed mm-hmm. real time. Mm-hmm. Like, wa- watch White Helmets. I mean, it will mess you up. Mm-hmm. About these people that are the first responders into buildings that have just been, had a bomb dropped on them trying to rescue people out of them. They're Syrian, trying to rescue Syrians from bombings uh so the fact that everything is real time and you see it as it happens so to speak um and then coupled with uh this idealism uh where i think cho has a book where he talks about the fact that that we we get all hyped up about wanting to save the world but we don't want to do the, the work to really save it right overrated i think that's the name of the book that he wrote so this double-edged sword where we want to save the world, but then we become almost paralyzed because we see the great need in the world. And really, what can I do about that? Like, what can I do about the situation in Syria? Mm-hmm. What can I do about the refugee situation in Syria? I can't do anything. I'm sitting in Bourbon, Illinois, mm-hmm. right? But I, but, but I, I, I can do something about it. I can talk about it. We can educate ourselves. We can read. We can, we, so you can be, almost become paralyzed by the great need around you to where you feel like nothing I do matters. Hmm. Or in essence realize, well, you know what? I don't know. Jesus came when there were no planes, no trains, no automobiles, and he walked around for three years with 12 guys. That's not real effective today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, Michael, take a backpack. You and Emily walk around in the woods with 12 people that you're going to disciple for three years and then walk out of the woods, and we're just going to think you wasted three years of your life. But that's the way Jesus did it, yeah. right? Yeah. And when he taught to masses of people, they wanted to kill him mm-hmm. to the point where they eventually did. Real successful ministry there, <laughs> right? Yeah. He didn't end up having success to the point where he had to go buy like a huge arena because so right. many people were coming to church. No. He told them, drink, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and they left in droves, right? So, uh, yeah, I said that to say, I think that gets me back. I don't even know that we've gone full circle now, but I think sometimes we lose, we lose the ability, maybe the art, to just be kind to the person that's next to me mm-hmm. and realizing I'm here. I, I live in Bourbon, Illinois, mm-hmm. right? I didn't choose my neighbors, but they're my neighbors. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily, I chose to live here, but I don't choose the people that are around me. So instead of getting paralyzed by the fact that there's so many places that I can't do anything in but i can do something here um i think kind of helps me it kind of frees me up from feeling like i have to save the world um because honestly my part of the world to save is the one i live in save Mm -hmm. you know what i mean by save right Mm -hmm. the the part of the world for me to be a part of to, to to partner with god to to try to redeem is the one that i live in um so, yeah, I, I mean, and I don't, I don't, I, I think there's a maturing process. I think everyone goes through a sense of paralysis where you feel like I'm not really doing a whole lot. Mm. You know, God called me to do something and I'm not doing a whole lot. 
I mean, who of us, if we're honest, doesn't struggle with those thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? So I think you just, I think one of the things that Sherman and and Tim Keller and every every good endeavor in the book that he wrote, Sky Jatani's written a couple books that are really good along these lines too, where it's just not live for the now, but live in the moment. Don't miss the opportunities that God gives you every day that are around you. Um, don't get blind to those opportunities because you're thinking so big or so far away from here that you lose sight of the people that are that are right here, that are right across the street. And uh, so, yeah, the, the paralysis, I think, is something that she's trying to challenge that as well in saying, ah, don't lose joy in the mundane. There is joy in the mundane. I think Nowen says that. Mm-hmm. Don't lose the ability to find joy in the everyday, normal, mundane mm. things that you just do. So like Brother Lawrence, I serve God when I wash dishes. Mm. You don't hear that in American theology, right? <laughs> I'm going to go wash dishes so I can serve God. No, nah, somebody else is going to do that so I can do what really matters. And, and uh, mm. So I, I want to, and I struggle with that all the time, all the time. I, I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to miss a moment. Mm-hmm. Can you describe your style of sermon that you are? Can you of, describe my style of des- sermon? You, <laughs> let, let's see. Can you describe the style of this sermon? The the pink. Sp- it's I, I think it's narrative. So <laughs> it's embedded with story quotes, metaphor that all are built on the scripture passage. So the text. So they're the, all stuck to it. Yeah, they're stuck to it. So <laughs> the, the the text is central, but sometimes you don't even know what the text is till halfway through the message, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's it's all there. Um, so I'm not expositional. Um, never never have been. I hope I'm not topical, because that kind of makes me throw up in my mouth. So I hope I'm not topical. I mean, we, we, you know, I like, I have directions for the fall, but I need a theme to point me in a direction. So like whenever I get asked to do, so I'm, I'm speaking at a camp in two, in two weeks. Right. And so I saw the guys at, at general assembly at our meetings and, and it's the first time I met them and I said, you guys have a theme. And they said, yeah, it's going to be cowboy rodeo theme. And I'm like, Oh, that's, I don't have a whole lot of rodeo sermons, <laughs> so I don't know what to do with that, right? I'm actually so, kind of shocked. I, yeah, so I think I'm going to go in and j- I guess I'll just do what I do, but it, it, it's... Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? You just go in and do what you do. <laughs> you, like, well, you well, just do it, man. Just do it. No. Well, some of it, it is actually... So it, it goes back to a question you asked me a couple times ago. Is there a, is there a theological thread? Right. So okay. I try and give them a healthy picture of who God is. Yeah. I, I don't know that the rodeo has a whole lot to do with that. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So I don't even know what to do with that. I started laughing out loud. Um, so I'm going to do what I do. Uh, yeehaw. <laughs> no, but the, the, the healthy... At least as I understand it, you know, I'm, I'm being corrected all the time in my theology. Mm. So I, I don't ever feel like I'm done. I don't feel like I'm finished. I hope not for my wife's sake. I'm not finished. 
Uh, and I hope for the students that come here, I'm not finished. I hope that students that heard me speak in chapel eight years ago have, they, they sense a depth that wasn't there eight years ago. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I hope they sense uh, a clarity that maybe I wasn't able to communicate eight years ago. Because I think those things to me all point to and signify growth. I, I don't I don't know. I somebody once said, and I don't know that this is true, that you can't ever preach beyond yourself. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I think in some ways it is. Um, I don't know if it's totally accurate. But if that is even if there's even a hint of truth in that, then I think sometimes we have to I mean, we, we have to take care of ourselves. I mean, you guys hear that all the time, right? Now, and Brennan Manning, they, they all would say this. You got to take care of you. You got to have to tend to your own soul so you can tend to those that are around you. And so that's kind of what my summer is, you know. So you, I, I don't know whether we were taping or not, but you mentioned my Panera Tuesdays, Panera Fridays. And that's, that's kind of what I do. I try, I try and tend to myself and not in a selfish way, but I just know there are some things um the, the, you know there are some things i want to read there are some things i need to read there's some way that there there's a way that i have to prepare myself and i've been doing this i think this is my 8th summer going into my 8th year as chaplain this is my 8th summer and i think there's a rhythm that that's allowed me to create mm -hmm. that has been very healthy mm -hmm. um and uh yeah so did I answer the yeah, question? Yeah, excellent. What what makes this sermon distinctively a Mark Holcomb sermon? Oh boy, uh, I don't know what that means. I mean, I'm being honest. I don't yeah. know what a Mark Holcomb sermon is. Um, I have learned. I will say this, there, and I don't remember all the illustrations. That but there might be a little self-deprecation in it. I make fun of myself. You can't make fun of anybody else on a college campus but yourself and get away with it because you're being mean, cruel, intolerant. You know what I mean? You're not yeah. you're being unjust. <laughs> so I make fun of I make fun of myself and my family all the time because who's going to what are they going to do? Right? I'm making fun of me. So like when I tried to dance in chapel the beginning of the semester, right? I tried to do the Cupid shuffle and I almost knocked somebody off the stage that was next to me, right? <laughs> You know, I'm making fun of me, right? I'm making fun of the fact that I can't dance. Well, they're not gonna, they're not gonna say I'm being intolerant because I'm making fun of me. So, um, I mean, maybe some of it is just the fact that I'm always self-deprecating. I'm always making fun of me. Uh, I try and always have a real personal story. Like I don't pull out my, I don't, I think I might've even thrown them away. My old youth specialty sermon illustrations books that I used to use when I was a youth pastor. I own them now. <laughs> <laughs> Michael took them. Uh, so, uh, they, they were great for a time, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but the problem is youth pastors like Michael have used them. So all these kids yeah. come through high school and they've heard every story in the book, mm -hmm. right? But they haven't heard mine. Yeah. And one of the things that I've found too, though, is when you do use the Velcro effect, your own stories come to the surface. Yeah. Uh, some of them good, some of them not so good. Some of them, uh, you know, I, and I try to be brutally honest. Have you ever told a story about yourself and then regretted it? Um, no, 
Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, if there's if there's one that I'm questioning, uh, I I usually run it by my wife mm-hmm. and say, "I'm thinking this. Should I do this?" And and I'll try and you know this is the con- this is this this is the narrative. This is the context. This is the statement. This is the question. This is it. Uh, but this is the story that I think. And she'll look. I mean, I mean, there's been very few times when she's looked at me and said. Yeah, I don't think so. You know what I mean. So the the probably the one that was toughest for me to tell was I think on Ash Wednesday, and again, you guys might have been students when I told about being molested by a babysitter. That was one that I thought long and hard about because I know what the statistics are and mm-hmm. what that story meant to a percentage of students that are sitting there listening to me, and I wasn't trying to cause pain I because what what I think I did in that moment was I talked more about the healing than the pain that it inflicted for me so that was one that I mulled over for a while like I didn't when I was a youth pastor I don't think I I was a youth pastor for over 20 years before anybody knew Mm. about I never talked publicly about that at all part of it was because I I didn't want I didn't want to objectify myself I guess in some ways I didn't want to just turn into the guy who always told the story about God healing from his molestation you know what I mean and it really wasn't anything that was haunting for me to be totally honest with you and I can't explain that either it's not something you know some people have gone through that experience and just had terrible grief and sense of loss and years of counseling and I don't know. I was spared from that. I can't really, I can't explain it beyond the fact that I was spared from that. And I feel for those that, that struggle with it, you know, navigating that on a daily basis. But that was probably the one just because of the depth of it for my own soul and what I felt like I would be saying to other students that I struggled with the most. Um, I wanted to make sure it was right, not just using it but make sure it was in the right time so maybe that's the thing too is when the story is told in the right setting in the right context in the right message um i think that helps too instead of just telling a story to tell a story how did you expect people to respond to the sermon and did you see that happen the pink spoon the pink spoon sermon well we passed out pink spoons at the end of chapel on that day I had I have no idea honestly. I mean, this is a college I campus. I knew you would say that. I like I knew. Were you a student then? No. Were you a, were you yeah. were there though, no, right? Well, I, I Yeah, we were both there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I but I was grand. See, it was oh. really impactful for you, Michael, right? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I still have my pink spoon. Okay, so that's yeah. like I have students that will tweet a picture yeah. of their pink spoon to me. Like I had that happen this year. Well, that was uh uh, two years ago this fall. So um, what would that mean? Juniors and seniors are the only ones that have pink spoons? Is it, Would that yeah, be right, right, or is it just right. seniors? It's a lot of math to do. That's, I know, and we're talking, we, we all took Math 103. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sorry, Dr. Atkinson. But, yeah. but okay, so, so juniors. okay, so, so I honestly don't, I don't know how, I don't know how students are going to respond mm-hmm. to, Anything. How would you hope they respond? How would you hope that it affects them? They live differently. I think I want them to respond in ways that are appropriate for them. Mm. So the fact that I 
saw kids carrying i mean the fact that i saw kids carrying pink spoons around in their you know in their backpack in one of the two slots that was made mm-hmm. for your water bottle mm-hmm. and i saw i would see pink spoons in there or I, there were students that like drilled a little hole in it and put it on their keychains i had no idea that that would be the effect mm-hmm. it was just a metaphor and an image to help them carry the message with them mm-hmm. right as they left and that's kind of the way it was unpacked and uh you know we even talked about having haagen ice cream out there you know, <laughs> which would have been awesome. cool yeah. right but very expensive yeah. where they could just take their spoon. And then we ta- started talking about germs and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, bah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the pink spoon metaphor, did I know? I hoped that yeah. it would shape our conversation for the semester and it would be something that they would never forget. And I think that's been true for some. I think Emily was there. And for some reason, I think she still has her pink spoon. Well, you guys saw mine. It's sitting right there on my desk. So okay, this is really pragmatic. But um, how do you go about getting that many pink spoons? I mean, so you know, as a pastor, um, thinking of building in these metaphors that people can take away and and keep with them, uh, you know, that sounds like a little bit of a project to add to my week to try to get to find. Well, actually, Baskin Robbins. Okay sells them by the case oh really so you can actually go in and buy a case of pink spoons for they're like thirty dollars 35 bucks for three thousand i think or twenty five hundred or something like that so nancy bought two cases of this so we spent basically 70 bucks that's incredible to get enough spoons for everybody to have a spoon yeah so i mean we were sitting in a meeting trying to think of a way, and Nancy, I think, I'm pretty sure Nancy Dodd just said, well, give him a pink spoon. And I'm like, all right, we'll yeah. give him a pink spoon. Yeah, and right. she called Baskin Robbins, and and sorry, Baskin Robbins, if you're listening, I'm sure you are, but I said haagen because it's better ice cream. But <laughs> I there, I went there, didn't I? So, if it, yeah, this is the... Sermon Smash Bros podcast. If you need to sue anybody uh, <laughs> or so, sponsor, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's totally fine. Yeah, and they'll probably sue Olivet because we're sitting on campus <laughs> when we're taping this. So, anyways, so that that was basically it. it was it was just kind of a brainstorming session about ways that we could make this very tangible. And Good. I've used it at a camp, and and I spoke at Mid America's uh, Spiritual Deepening oh, awesome. Week and gave them pink spoons and. And they were Instagramming it all. So that's that's the stuff. I mean, I, yeah. that's serendipitous to me. It's, you know, I just, whatever God's going to do with it, God's going to do with it. And I think if students are listening, God's going to do something with it. What is the function or primary reason to preach in your community? <clears throat> well, I think one of the things that we try and do with chapel so it's beyond me right so when i speak in this community when i preach in our community when i invite others to come in and speak in our community we're trying to create a conversation a common conversation right so when we talked about reconciliation this past spring with using the metaphor of dance which i totally butchered right 
but the joke about but but the but but the, the metaphor even played out itself so we tried to do a dance in chapel and i was knocking you know knocking a kid off a state the platform and stepping on people's toes but that's life too isn't it mm-hmm. when you're invited into a relationship with people we knock each other around we step on toes we hurt each other but yet you still stay committed if you're going to dance with somebody you're all in mm-hmm. right so i was at a wedding saturday and they did a couple's dance. You know where they do it. And the longer you're married, the longer you stay in. And the first thing my wife said to me was, don't step on my toe. And we hadn't <laughs> taken three dance steps, and I stepped on her toe. Now, I only did it once, but it was early in the dance. All right? So, uh, so <laughs> anyways, so that metaphor, though, right, kind of laid out the whole semester that I then referenced time and time. You know, you just keep going back to this dance that – so to ask people, now, now you've seen how I dance, right? You know I can't dance, but will you dance with me anyways? So that the invitation to that and how that theme kind of works its way uh, throughout the whole semester. The question again. Uh, why preach in the community? What is preaching? Yeah. What's the purpose so of So that, I said all that to say, thanks for bringing me back. <laughs> the, the thread that was created for that, the conversation that was created, right? So laugh at me. Go ahead while I'm trying to engage in a dance, right? Um, but we're invited into this dance. So I, I had more than I think I've had, including the Pink Spoon semester, more than any semester I've ever had, I had students come up to me and say, this semester was the most meaningful mm-hmm. semester of chapels that I've ever experienced here. I don't I don't know what that means. Maybe they have a short memory. I mean, I don't know. I or maybe it just really was. It really was a good semester. Mm-hmm. But that language that you create then, so the advantage that we have here that no one else has, right? Because everyone has to be in chapel. Mm-hmm. So you, you you can take advantage then of being very intentional. Mm-hmm. So it's why everyone that's coming here, so when I have a speaker, right? This has nothing to do with my preaching, but when I have a speaker that, that comes in, I don't ask somebody that likes to speak about, oh, what would something be? You know, I, 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 the, the, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I know all speakers have their shtick. Mm-hmm. They all have something. They, they, they have their candy cane that they like to lick when they speak, or they have a book that they're trying to sell. So you read the book and you know what they want to talk about. And when it fits with your theme, you ask them to come in. And then it looks like you're a genius, right? Because how did they know we were talking about that? Well, their book actually helped to shape the conversation, if you want me to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. And that's the thread then Mm -hmm. that I get to build on. So why do I not know what I'm going to talk about the second time? Because I don't know what the gal who's here the second week Mm -hmm. is going to speak on. And I don't know what Dr. Bowling is going to talk about. So I have to tweak even adjust some of what I say on Thursday based on what Dr. Bowling is going to say on Thursday. Mm -hmm. But I can do that, too, because there's this common language because of the way we shape community around here um and and i think spiritually our community shaped in chapel Um, Mm -hmm. there's small groups that happen i'm and i'm not trying to diminish anything else amazing Mm -hmm. spiritual life ministries but but i think what happens in the big room sometimes i tell people you overestimate what happens in the big room but i think what happens in in the big room when you're intentional can create common language Mm -hmm. and a shared conversation um that's why i that's why I speak in the ways that I do, is try to help that happen. 
You do that in your church too, though, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So it's, it's really no different. So we're not a church, but we look a lot like one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love this question. How did this sermon transform you? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that it, it, it might not be the sermon, but it might, and this might make sense to you guys. It, it might not be the sermon itself. It was the preparation for the sermon. Mm-hmm. When you realize how the work that you've done, the things that you're thinking, you know, so you start with the scripture text, right? And then you're reading all these books and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like out of left field, why did I read Amy Sherman's book? I don't know the title kingdom calling that was on vocation. And I thought that, well, that fits where we're going. And in the introduction, she uses the illustration about from the pastor from Harlem about pink spoons. And, and I kind of just, you know, that, I read the rest of the book, kind of set the book down, was writing notes on it. And when I was typing my notes into Evernote, the pink spoon thing came back. And then it just kept coming back. And then I was, uh, you know, so I, but I, so I don't know that it's the, the message itself. Um, it's always nice. And, and I think you have to be careful with this, too, is, is it's, it's affirming for me. Um, in the challenge, there's affirmation in the challenge. There's there's affirmation for me in in think having to think new things, in new ways. Um, so I think in in some ways for me, if if this will make sense, I think some in some ways, the preparation for the message kind of takes you on its own journey. And I think that's how, I think that's, you know, what the old timers would say, spirit led. But it doesn't mean you're not prepared. It just means in the so in the in the preparation of the message, I think that was where the greatest um, changes happened for me. Not necessarily in the message itself, mm-hmm. which might yeah. I might be redundant. I mean, it might be the same thing. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about God from this text? Uh, I, I maybe maybe. Maybe what I learned, maybe what God showed me through the text was, had more to do with how I saw other people than how I saw him or how he wants me to see other people. And to bring value to everything that everyone does and to help people begin to see the value in what they do. Um, Everyone can be a hero. I think that that's really, I think that's that's at the heart of and the core of who God is. Is You know, I say a phrase all the time, and I know I've said it since you guys were students here, that we, you know, we're, we're, we, we discover in God who we were created to be. So now we, we can do what we were created to do. I think I might have got that from Dick Staub. In his, in his book about you, where he talks about what it means to be fully human. I'm not sure, but that, that book was really, that book still shapes me a lot. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of, I've, I've noticed in my reading, there's a lot of people that talk about the rehumanizing and, and G, that, that Jesus came to make us fully human. And the first time I ever remember reading it that way was in Dick Staub's book. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. How do you hope that um, that this message, this pink spoon living, would shape 
um, kind of the uh, ecclesiology of your community, the way that they relate to one another, the way they understand um, their relationship to God and, them, and to the, each other? Uh, well, I think one thing I would hope is that they don't wish they were someplace else. Mm. Um, because I think that that view of eschatology has really messed our ability to be incarnational. So I think the first thing that I would like, hope, that some people realized was the voc- vocational piece, yes, the, the foretaste of the th- things to come, you know, helping people realize the way thing God wants it to be, yes. But I, I think, and, and I, I said it several times in the spring semester, that don't, don't wish you were someplace else. Because if you're here, God has work for you to do here. Um, and man, if you think about that very long, because I think sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, as a grad student, Michael, it's it's probably pretty difficult for you at times to not be thinking about where I'm going to be five years down the road or what, what program am I going to be in then or where's Emily going to be or, you know, Matt, are you always going to be where you're at? Or and, and I think even our system sometimes, especially for pastors, messes, up, up, messes us up a little bit because we always, you know, the way the way we take care of ourselves in the church economically is to move, mm-hmm. which is really sad. And so, and I think that's filtered down into our layman, not necessarily in that they move, but we always wish we were someplace else, especially if it's not comfortable, if it's hard, if it's difficult. Um, this consumeristic mindset that we have about the fact that everything should make me feel better feed me, make me feel good. I didn't, I'm not getting anything out of the pastor's sermons anymore. All of, I mean, and you, you can see where that thread goes. So I think it's, it's just the, maybe that's it. Just don't wish you were anyone else, anywhere else. And if you're not supposed to be anywhere else and let that one sit on you for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Like I got to stay here. Mm. I gotta stay. I gotta stay here. Mm. What does that mean for me, and what does that mean for my calling, and who God wants me to be, and what He wants me to do here? Thank you so much for your time for coming on the podcast. Great, get to chat with you. Have fun editing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks. So, uh, last question: What makes this sermon f- smash? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're you're getting ready. You're gearing up. Yeah. Here we go. One more. Okay. Uh, this is my practice I, for I, the yeah. finale. 